Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolution's Editor-in-Chief, Amr Alawalia, speaks with Sasha Thackerberry, who is Associate Vice Chancellor of Learning Experience Design Innovation at National University. We talked to Sasha about destigmatizing continuing education to create a more collaborative institution and future trends CE leaders need to keep an eye on. Let's get into it. Sasha, thanks so much for joining us for the Illumination podcast. It's awesome to be chatting with you. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, it's a fun conversation for me and and I'll let our listeners in on sort of our friendship. So Sasha and I have, have probably known each other for about a decade at this point. Wow, uh, through, yeah. <laughs> yeah, through you were at, when you were at Tri-C, uh, all the way through southern New Hampshire, uh, down south, and now, now you're out west uh, with National University. So I think you'd have a particularly interesting perspective on the evolution of the concept of, of continuing professional online ed, because that's that evolution has happened as your career has, has kind of progressed in the space. So how have you seen the role of these divisions transform certainly over the course of the past decade, but yeah, over the course of your career. Oh, um, wow. So going back, back in the day, right? So I like to think about continuing ed as this thing that has started on the side and was sort of like its own little bucket over here. And usually the folks who did it, it was like always an eat what you kill model. It was sort of part of the mission of these institutions, but it was really just sort of like over there with the exception of sometimes like colleges of business or schools of business, they would have executive ed or if there was like a local community that specialized in, in something like you could do, they would have like something special for that, that partner. But it was so much like off to the side. It was almost some institutions, it was largely ignored. Other institutions, it was huge, but still siloed. So for example, at Tri-C, they had a huge workforce division, but it wasn't very integrated at the time into sort of the academic structure. So the assumption was, is that there were multiple paths. There were either going to be like development paths for, in, in essence, sometimes the trades, even though like some of these technology certifications really were probably much more economically uh, beneficial than some of the transfer degrees. But it was, again, considered sort of a different track. And then in some fields, like we've always seen like law, education, medicine, there's always been like those sort of license-based fields where you have all this continuing ed. And sometimes the institution would participate in that, sometimes not. Sometimes they would partner with an external association to provide credit for things but largely it was very siloed, right? And in a lot of cases, I I feel like it still is siloed, but we're seeing more and more attention on it and emphasis. And I think that parallels really the, the transformation that has occurred in our economy and in the needs that we have in the workforce, because just learning itself has become a necessity to have an upwardly mobile career, at a magnitude than it was before. Like the world just keeps speeding up and it's not possible to gain deep knowledge in multiple areas. You have to be able to go and pick up a piece of something specialized and understand this piece and bring stuff together. Because again, we don't need to do the stuff that computers can do for us now. 
it demands yeah. a very different type of thing for us. Even in factories, like you asked folks, like there are very different things that are going on in what used to be considered sort of blue collar fields. I keep encouraging my daughter. I was like, you can go become a plumber, please become a plumber. Like <laughs> she's not going to become a plumber, but I could, I could really probably save some money long-term if she went into one of the trades. She'll because, make some money long-term too. Yeah, she will. She will. Right. So it really came. I, I think there's still a certain stigma that is changing for non-degree programs. People are mm -hmm. understanding they're going out in the workforce. They're not able to really find the people they need with degrees. Let's talk about that stigma a little bit too, because this is something, again, that we've been watching for so, since the evolution launched. I mean, certainly one of the reasons the evolution launched in the first place was uh -huh. to try to destigmatize the lifelong learning and non-degree yep. space in the higher ed sector. And that stigma, as far as I can tell, seems to be one of the biggest barriers that stands in the way of effective collaboration between continuing or professional or online ed divisions and the faculties on campus who ultimately wind up creating competitive programs to the stuff yeah. that's happening in CE in the first place. Yep. So how do we destigmatize rather non-degree education? How do we create a better understanding of what actually happens in CE? That is a fantastic question. It's really interesting because I think the type of institution impacts that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, at a research institution, like when I was at LSU, continuing ed really was very much off to the side until we started approaching continuing ed through online. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of places is when professional and continuing education is approached through the lens of modality, that's where people are starting to see those intersections. Because, you know, if you're creating content for cloud computing, and it's going to be the same fundamental concepts, if it's for credit or not credit. So why not create a pathway, someone comes in, takes something small, they can build on it and eventually get into the bigger program because, you know, as much as we're pro micro credentials, degrees are still sort of that official queen of the realm to some extent. But I don't know how much longer that's going to be. <laughs> yeah, seriously, though, right? Like, because there's been for so long, there has been this degree as a proxy for skills and, yes. and um, abilities. And I, I think that we're seeing, because of the scarcity of labor right now, as much as anything else, I think we're starting to see the divorcing of that assumption. That puts institutions that have relied on the exclusivity of their brands at high risk. And I would say the Ivy Leagues, they're just going to do what Ivy Leagues are going to do, right? Like th their thing is legacy. They're always going to be people who want that. But even if you look at something like Harvard Extension, uh, Stanford, they're huge compared to their on-campus populations, mm -hmm. right? But again, that's a proxy. If you get a Salesforce credential, that means that you have passed the same rigorous <laughs> certification exam as everybody else with that. Like there are things that I know about people if they have certifications that I do not know if they graduated yeah. with a computer science degree. So I think people are starting to figure that out. And we should be really, really concerned about it as an industry. The way I think about it is very much, well, if, you know, we're adopting a six-year curriculum model and, and part of that starts to move towards micro-credentialing. And when I get excited about micro-credentialing, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, obviously it's, you know, we're creating granular learning opportunities, blah, blah, blah. But what excites me more is that it fundamentally challenges the role of the institution. 
right? Because mm -hmm. if you're adopting a micro-credentialing model, you're no longer saying the institution is a gatekeeper of knowledge and that, you know, any learning pathway has to be sort of established from the top and long-term and cohesive and coherent. Right. And you're really creating an environment where it's it's customer responsive. It's it's responsive to what a, what a learner wants at a point in time and providing them access to the exact piece of learning that they need and then building a stackable model around it. So when you think about like the execution on this model, yeah. I think of the continuing ed division as almost a service provider there uh -huh. where it's, you know, how does continuing ed start to, to create a, an administrative model that supports it? How, how do you see the role of continuing education and executing on that vision? Oh, so that's really interesting. So I've been noodling a lot about this because I think as, uh, as an industry, we have not gone far enough to envision what five years looks like or what 10 years looks like. We're still sort of tinkering around the edges like, oh, let's improve this thing or, oh, we can do PLA better or, you know, oh, we can do- Which is true. Better. All of, that <laughs> all is of this is true. true. <laughs> yes, that's very true and very needed. All of that's true. And we're not taking the leap that literally everything around us is taking, right? Like, so we have been somewhat subsidized federally that has cushioned us from market forces, right? Those market forces are gonna start catching up to us just based on the demographic cliff, if nothing else. You can't get federal aid for a student out there, right? So the, the demand piece is gonna become more important, I think. And also as more millennials get older, their perception of value for the degree completion market is gonna be a little bit different. But I've been thinking about this from like the perspective of like the evolution of large companies. I've been noodling on it from like the perspective of like platform, because like people have been talking about like education as a platform, but so like platform products and services. So like if you look at higher ed from that lens, so your platform, like if it is an edX, if it is a Coursera, their product isn't their product. It's other people's product, yeah. right? They have a platform, but then they started creating services around it, right? Like OPM-like services. Their actually customer is the institution. Their customer is the individual. Their customer is the... So they sort of made themselves this, this mini hub in the middle. And in higher ed institutions, to some extent, we've done that, with, but with our own product, right? So continuing ed would always have sort of their own set of product lines. A lot of times, especially in the online space, they would partner with like a Mind Edge or like we did at LSU partner with a full stack or um, to plug in those curriculum pieces that move fast, that can be done at scale effectively, uh, you know, organizations that specialize in that. So if you think about that, like as an aggregator, to some extent, the advantage that some of these huge platforms have is that you can get more than one type of learning and more than one brand. And it becomes like, I hate it when people say Netflix of education, because I feel like Netflix gives me the worst suggestions ever on what I should watch next. So I'm going to think of it as like the Amazon prime mm -hmm. of education, where they'll feed you things from different providers, but then, and this is where it gets interesting. We've now seen this thing where like Amazon has their own products. So folks are starting to create their own products. So if you look at it, like from the flip lens, higher ed always had their own product. They're really bad at their own platform. They're okay at their own services. But if you look at it from like this sort of holistic lens, we need to create our own platforms that curate product other places. Yes. And we need to be product on other people's platforms. 
it's a both and if you want to scale, as far as I'm concerned. And then from the services component, we have to decide, people should be able to decide how much service they want or don't want, right? And some of these things really do need to be a la carte. And then some of them also should have different financial models behind it that are just included. Like the one-to-one like sort of laptop model, you, you are part of our world. We'll send you a laptop while you work on your online degree. Why not internet service? And why not a cell phone? And why aren't we not like that partner that, you know, every time I pick up my Kindle, as annoying as it is, it's suggesting another book to me. Every time somebody picks up, you know, their cell phone or their laptop, there's another micro course. Yes. You know, we're not thinking of it. We're not thinking of it from the consumer perspective. Like people are doing this for profit like mm-hmm. the Amazons of the world, like really gaining money, like holding on to lots of money, also providing lots of jobs. I'm not dissing Amazon. We should be using these same techniques for the betterment of society. In fact, it is our mission. We're just not doing it as well as we could. Well, it's, and it almost seems like tripping ourselves up to a certain extent. It's, it's a by choice, right? Because mm-hmm. to your point, I mean, it's really about becoming consumer-minded. It's about recognizing that we have a responsibility to proactively market offerings. We have a responsibility yep. to be responsive to what the market's telling us in terms of the, the courses, the programs, the offerings. And, and all of this is not to say, let's get rid of degrees. So I just want to, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak on, on Sasha's behalf here for a moment. <laughs> like, you know, you're not saying get rid of the degree. Yep. What you're saying is, offer alternative pathways, offer off-ramps and on-ramps that make sense exactly. to different people at different points in time. Right. How do we get out of our own way? What needs to change that's going to present us an environment where that kind of innovation makes sense? Because this is, again, all of this stuff is, is fundamental to, to the concept of a 60-year curriculum. I think right. Hunt Lambert, so He's shout out like, to Hunt. Yeah, Hopefully you're listening, awesome. pal. Yes, yeah, seriously, um, that guy's coming so, out. <laughs> so it, we did a piece a little while ago where he was talking about the 60-year curriculum, what it would take to get there. And one of the comments he made is that the, the post-secondary institution of the future is an aggregator and a guide of an individual's learning. It's not necessarily a provider. And he said something along the lines of, he'd be surprised if the leading institutions in about uh, in, in 10 to 15 years time provided more than 20% of their own programming to students who are looking for wow. educational opportunities. It's an insane concept, right? <laughs> but like, yeah. where does the institution start to sit in that environment? How do we create that model? Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really, first of all, I'm like, not, I'm totally not shocked that he said that, but totally impressed that I think it defines on how, like, (laughs) it depends on how you define product and how you define platform, because Mm -hmm. I think that goes to brand fundamentally. And if if you want to be less elegant about it, which why not? Sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) When given the choice, pick less elegant, you know, reselling, is part of what higher ed has always done. It's just interesting that we like to avoid like consumer-based language. Like we don't Mm -hmm. sell stuff, we do sell stuff. It's just, if we do it well, we should be doing it for the improvement of society. That should be our goal. It's not shareholder benefit, it's it's community benefit. That's, it's still beneficial. Exactly, that doesn't mean you should be bad at it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're like, oh, well, we're not, you know, we don't want to sell people stuff they don't want. I'm like, that's what it is. Let's get really good at what we're providing so that it is the most efficient, most effective pathway. I think from a product standpoint, frankly, there are certain things that just move too fast for traditional higher ed. 
and you need to partner. Like, I do think that you're never going to out math lab a math lab online. Like you're not a software development company, right? Nor should you be. It is okay to use third-party contracts. It is okay to use people who have expertise in a certain area. It's okay to outsource your marketing if you need to. I just think people have historically not gotten a fantastic ROI on some of these things because higher ed doesn't always think of things as a business that you have to think about with an ROI. But one of the biggest things, and I remember, I'm not going to say which institution I was at, was uh, we were talking about like, it was graduate certificates at the time. And the idea was, oh, well, if we spend as much to get a student who's taking a graduate certificate, then our ROI is less on that student. And I was like, or we take the student who's interested in the graduate certificate, upsell them the full graduate degree, and everyone that we're almost losing in retention halfway through that graduate degree, oh, if you take an additional class, here's an incremental credential. Because the beautiful thing about continuing ed is that you work hard on something and then here's your credential. It's yep. not you work hard on something. And you work hard on something. See you later. You work hard on something. And four years later, you get a credential. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because that's also like sort of the science of addiction, right? Like the shorter the time frame is between what you do and the reward that you get, the more likely you are to repeat that. Yeah. And that's, I swear to you, why, why do we think Amazon is so good at supply chain? Well, when education needs it, to be bingeable. Up. Yeah. Edu like we have to make it bingeable. Oh, because I love we're that. If we're talking about an environment where upskilling and reskilling is necessary to anybody's success in any industry, in any professional pathway, yeah. then what's our role in, in supporting that? We have to do more than count on the student to figure out our value on their behalf. We have to show them the value. Absolutely. I would say the single biggest thing we need to do as institutions, though, is huge mind shift. Like risk aversion is for real. And it's not, it's like uh, one of my favorite Jeanette Winterson quotes is from our risk comes our safety. And then it goes on to say, not the small, sad life that clings to anything because it has nothing, but the first part of it. The first part. You have to go down the dark hole for the second half. But from our risk comes our safety. And we are risk averse as an industry with some notable exceptions. But look at the notable exceptions. They are wildly successful, right? I mean, like risk aversion is something we have to get past. We have to get past the concepts that red tape is good for us. We have to get out of our way with thinking about, oh, we'll make this a little better. We'll make this a little better. We don't even do it like using business concepts, like consider using Lean Six Sigma. It's been used successfully all over the place. Like there are things that we can use. We literally don't have to prevent them, but we have to be willing to take the risk. We have to think beyond ourselves. It's just, we're historical. As, as an industry, we're, we're sort of historical. So let me ask you this, because I think this will, we'll bring it back a little bit. So this uh, conversation is going to come out as, as we, you know, turn the switch from 2021 to 2022, which, you know, for those of you hopefully listening in 2027, I mean, welcome to your time <laughs> portal. But yeah, as, you look, <laughs> as you look to the, to the next year, I mean, what are some of the trends that you expect to see really start to ramp up in the next year? And as a continuing ed leader, what are some trends and some ideas that CE leaders in particular need to keep an eye on? I was actually speaking with some folks in the computer science and engineering area at National the other day, and we were talking about sort of some of these smaller credentials associated with like Amazon and, and some of those folks, well, there's such a wide range of folks 
doing that now. And so I do think we're going to finally see some breaks in the dam around prior learning assessment, especially because of the verifi verification through third parties. I think um, academics are more likely to see that as legitimate. And I think it's going to happen in the traditional fields, IT and business is where we're going to see it first. There's going to be an increasing marketing trend where people are going to, I don't want to say be less bad at it, but they're going to have to get more targeted. They're going to have to get more targeted, yeah. right? So much of this advertising is like super general. And there's so much out there that people who are very successful at selling us stuff that we don't need all the time, there's no reason why we can't be using those same sort of venues. I want National University to have an ad next to every time you see a PMP manual on Amazon. Like, mm -hmm. why don't we have that? We should be able to be helping society through that. I think because marketing dollars are so poorly understood in higher ed, we're going to get there in marketing sooner because people are either not going to have the money or they're going to spend the money and really want to know their ROI. Because that's one of the things that I think higher ed institutions um, have the least amount of skilled expertise in like really precise marketing and really thinking about the use of AI and nudges, those pieces, huge need for it. Maybe that's just a pipe dream on my part, but I'd like to think that we'll get better at marketing. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners, while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.